consider being right here in sanctuary with God and experiencing what God is doing at Rock Valley Baptist Church. It is good to see each and every one of you, and it's my prayer that each and every one of you had a wonderful, peaceful, and restful Thanksgiving. Uh, I had a great Thanksgiving. So I want to thank you for your prayers for that. I want to thank you for those of you that blessed me and Betsy. And uh, our family has really, really, really benefited from your generosity. Um, the bad news is that it was a running time for us.
looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speaking things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Think of something like that when you think of an older Christian woman. 
Well, that's not always the case, though, is it? Let's take a look at the next slide. Young women. This is our third set of people. We have older men, we have older women, we have young women. We can admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. And you know, that needs to be brought back to teach wives how to love their children. Teach mamas how to love their children. Teach them that children need to be raised and admonished in the home. Anyway, uh, so the third set of people that Titus is supposed to be kept to is young women. They admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. I have to ask a question. I want you to answer it honestly, not out loud, but in your heart. How hard is it sometimes to love your husband? How hard is that? Many times people have come to me and said, Pastor, love is that warm, fuzzy feeling. But through time and through years, that fuzzy feeling fades. Well, yeah, it can. When you're married for 25 years, you see the worst parts of your spouse. I mean, you see them when they're sick. You see them when they're angry. You see them when they're dissatisfied. You see them when they're upset. Let me tell you, nothing will scare you worse than the first time you see your beautiful bride crying. Nothing will scare you worse than when makeup starts running, when mascara starts running, or when you see your beautiful wife sneeze, or burp, or do other things that normal people do. And that warm, fuzzy feeling may pull away. <laughs> That's great. We start seeing that. All the ladies are quiet at the moment. Because love is not a fuzzy feeling. Love is something you do. Love is not something that you fall into. Love is not something that we emotionally can't help. You understand that for a second. Why we like to think of love as this spell that's cast on us. It's not. Love is something you choose to do. It's something you choose to show. It's something you choose to emit from your body. And it's something you choose to keep committed to. I can be in love with you even when you don't love back because love something we do, not something we say. Something we do is a verb. Something we choose to do. And so Titus is told to teach young women to love their husbands. And you know there can be much said too about husbands learning to love their wives. Can I get amen? We could preach on that all the time. Husbands learn to love your wives. The wives learn to love your husbands. In 30 years of ministry, the greatest marriage destroyer I've ever faced is that woman who's not satisfied at home and she wants to go around town talking to everybody else about her deadbeat husband. That's the problem. She wants to talk to somebody else and not her husband. If you love your husband, you'll talk to your husband. It also applies to husbands when they're not so happy with their wives. Talk to your wife, not somebody else. Let's take a look at the next slide. When you think of young women, what comes to your mind? Not those. Nowadays, when you think of young women, do you think of bubblegum pink hair? Do you think of 50 or 60 facial piercings? <laughs> we had one, yeah. The one who said, yeah, works in the public school system. <laughs> do you think of those things? It has changed quite a bit, hasn't it? How a young woman looks. When you look at this picture up here, you look at women who are not necessarily um, well, in their time frame. They would be afraid to be vulgar. They would be afraid to go in public looking vulgar. Nowadays, when you go to Walmart, you better bring yourself some blinders. Because no telling what you're going to see. No telling what you're going to do or what you don't want to see sometimes. Let me get a picture of these old women here, or these younger women here. And let me ask you a question. What comes to your mind when you think of godly younger women? Some of you sitting in the picture right now of our youth. We have some godly youth that right there. You guys said, praise God for that. You need to be in prayer for that. Because I'm going to tell you something. If we don't reach our youth, and we don't teach our youth, and we don't help our youth, the devil's going to get us. We need to make sure that we're a part of their lives. All right, let's put them in the next slide. Young men, verse 6 here, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Now, we're looking at those five special groups that Titus is to reach out to. Those five groups he's supposed to reach out to. And they comprise a church, older men. Notice he said older men first. 
old man of where services are born, where the doctrine is born, where the theology is Those older men, he said, exhort them, love them, teach them, be gentle with them, be patient with them, because they don't understand sometimes what's happening in today's life. Now, don't get me misunderstood. A lot of times, young guys like to say, you just don't understand anything about young lives. Let me tell you something, young men. There's nothing those old guys haven't already experienced. You say amen. They've already experienced They've already been there. They've already overcome it. So things are learned from that. But there's things different in young men's lives. The old men, one, have forgotten. Two, have an experience. And that is the amount of pure pressure that belongs in young men's lives now. If you were to place it on a scale, pure pressure, what would it have been in the 1960s? I think it would have been very high. Your pressure would have been seven, eight, maybe nine, as far as becoming picky, becoming a drug user, becoming somebody who is rebellious against your government, rebellious against your parents, who is taught in our music culture, taught in the poetry of the day, and taught in the public school. Your pressure would have been high. The 1980s has backed off a little bit. What about the year 2020? How high was your pressure? Was it equivalent? You say, no way. I beg the difference. What happened in the year 2020? Black Lives Matter violence? Well, there's peer pressure to tear down, destroy, burn, and repent. Not just go to Woodstock and have a conference. Peer pressure would have been a little bit higher. Would have been right up in there. And so we get this picture here. The Apostle Paul says, Why are these young men to be sober minded? We need to remember those old people. We need to remember those old women. We need to remember the young women, and we need to remember young men as well. These are the people that comprise the church. But you know what? There's another class of people that we forget about sometimes. Guess who they are? Let's look at What is uh, young men? Would you consider those young men? Those, those are young preaching men right there. <laughs> Deep preaching, right? And that was an old thing. Let's take a look at the next one here. Exhort the bond service. A lot of times, these people will look down upon. Exhort your slaves to the obedience of their own masters. And we well pleased in all things. I love how Paul says it. John answered that. No back talk, baby. <laughs> no back talk. No, somebody said it. No sassing. I wasn't going to say it, but no sassing. But really, there's a lot more to it than that. It is when the master leaves, no making fun. No saying, you weren't here, I would run away. There was none of that. You do it like you're doing it to God. You do all things to God, please God. It has nothing to do with that person or that other person or what you think about that person. It has everything to do with what you think about God. And so we look at the fifth characteristic, the fifth picture of people inside the church today. Remember, we have aged men, we have aged women, we have young men, we have young women, and now we have bond servants and slaves. And Paul says to Titus, teach them to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. And so let's put a mind in this kid's heart. Instead of looking at slaves, because praise God, slavery is ended. Amen. It was wrong, it's sinful, and slaves should not be there. But today, we have employed people. You ever looked at somebody who has a good college job? You thought to yourself, that would be better than that. Is that all you can get? What do you mean? You're just a dishwasher. I got my got pulled here. Never look at somebody like that. Don't get caught up in that trap. Because these people are just as much a part of God's church as anybody else. They're a part of that church. They make up God's people. And so Paul gets tight. The advice. Don't you forget them. Don't you leave them behind. And this is what you teach them. Teach them to be obedient to their own masters. To be well pleasing in all things, not answering back. We could spend a whole night looking at these five classes of people and how they relate to us today, but we're not going to do that. But here's a picture of our, our service right here. I want you to look at this right here. This is World War II. Actually, it's from uh, 2nd June 1941, and that is an American soldier who's in shorts, and he has a top crew submachine gun. 
those are not necessarily prisoners of war, but people that are moving. And they're moving by force. If there was ever a time to obey, that was the time to do it. Amen. They meant business in those days. And they didn't take much to keep the talking back. And so if we were to look how we behave to God, In other words, when we look at aged men, young men, aged women, young women, bond servants, really what Paul is telling Titus is to pick up everybody. Pick up everybody. There is no one left out. When you bring the gospel, you bring the gospel to every single one of them. You bring them to the love, you bring them to the unloved, you bring them to the rich, you bring them to the poor, you bring the gospel to those on the wrong side of the tracks and those on the right side of the path. You bring it to the low class to the high class. It's a race. It's a gender. It's just Somebody who says something, but says, I don't quite believe that, I'm going to do it this way. Or, somebody who straight up says, no, I don't believe it at all. You're a preacher. You have to try to address this guy. You've got to remind them to talk. You've got to remind them. In fact, he tells us, rebuke them. Rebuke them, reminding them that the word of God is supreme. And these are the people who you need to work with. Now, we're looking at the people that Paul. Come from. It doesn't matter where they ended up, and it doesn't matter what path they So, we have five sets of people, and we have to look at five characteristics of the teaching that Paul wants Titus to give. Let's take a look at those five characteristics. Titus' teaching were to be marked by five characteristics. We can find them in verses 7 and 8. Let us read verse 7 right here. And I want to hear the underline some of those characteristics in the teaching right here. And all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. There's the five characteristics right here. That one whose opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Let's take a look at those five characteristics of our teaching. So you as Christians, the people we're reaching to, these are the characteristics we need to show, we need to portray, and we need to live out in our gospel text. Presentation number one, verse seven tells us that we got to be people of integrity. That means our message has to be integrity. Our life has to be full of integrity. Our characteristics have to be someone who is full of integrity. There's nothing more beautiful than a minister who's got integrity. Nothing more beautiful than a church member who has integrity. You ever met that person? You can leave a thousand dollar bill in their hand and they won't spend a penny, and that's beautiful. But if you leave your bag of skittles around, they're going to eat every one of them. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes integrity where to find it. Integrity is in the case and situation. Christians, though, integrity is in everything we do. It's in everything we say. It's in every way we behave. We are to be people of integrity. Look again with me in verse 7 of Titus chapter 2. Let's read it together. Paul tells Titus, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, 
sincerity, integrity. You've got to be somebody who one believes. In other words, you portrayed characteristics where when you speak, they believe in you. You've got to be that person. You've got to be the one who says, this is what I said, this is what is going to happen. And it's going to, as far as it's in my power to do so, to make that happen. You've got to be a person of integrity. Look out. The Bible also tells us that you've got to be a person of reverence. Serious. Serious. Now, I love a little humor. And I love a little silliness. Sometimes to a fault. However, when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the Gospel, and when it comes to witnessing, you need to be a serious person. Nothing ruins the Gospel presentation like in the middle of it, a joke. Somebody who's convicted, somebody who's getting ready to give in to God, and a joke changes the subject. You need to be serious in your gospel life. Serious in your gospel presentation. Serious in your gospel teaching. Because there's nothing more serious than the Word of God. A man by the name of Ravenhill. Leonard Raven. Ravenhill. His last name, he gave a fantastic quote. He said, when I stand before Christ at the judgment seat, I doubt very seriously he's going to say, you took my word too seriously. You took me too In fact, there may be many standing behind me that he'll say, you didn't take me seriously enough. Be serious about the Word of God. Be serious about your witnessing. Be serious about your presentation of the Gospel. Be serious about your teaching. And Paul tells Titus, be serious about the doctrine you teach. The doctrine you teach is something to be serious about. Also, you need to be sincere. You've got to truly love somebody. If you teach them and you say, I just don't care whether you go or you don't go, you know what? They're not going to come. They want to know if you care. Once been said to me over and over and over again throughout the years of my ministry, past the gospel, nobody cares how much you know. They care how much you care. They care how much you care. You need to start caring. You need to be sincere in your gospel approach. And you need to love the unlovable. And you need to reach the unreachable. And you need to teach the unteachable. And you need to go out to those that are left behind. Let me tell you something, Jesus. He said, go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. Speak to them seriously. Speak to them with integrity. Speak to them. of our doctrine and the reconvention. You need to believe what you are teaching. You need to believe what you are teaching. You ever stood up to somebody in a teacher and they said, I want to tell you this is what it says, but I don't believe it. How would you feel if the preacher stood behind the pulpit and said, this is what the Bible says, but I don't believe it. What would happen, though? That's how our lives pray for people reach out to. Well, this is what the Bible says, but I don't really follow that. I don't really believe that. I don't really hold on to that. You have to be convinced. You have to be sincere. You have to believe what you're preaching. What you're preaching. Verse 8 tells us you've got to have sound truth. Believe what you preach. Also, verse 8 tells us you need to be unquestionable in your doctrine. Story, you have an answer. When you don't have an answer, be willing to say, I'll find out. Be willing to listen. Question, unquestionable, cannot be condemned. Verse 8. Cannot be condemned. It's from the outside person, outside world saying, This guy doesn't live as he should. Let's move on because I'm running out of time here. Christ himself was being an example to his listeners and his learners. Not just was he to look at the church and the preachers, he built up in those five kinds of people. Not only was he to be in those five characteristics of people, but he himself was to be an example to his listeners and his learners. Take a look at me in Titus 2, verse 7. In all things, Titus, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Look up. You're to be an example. You've got to live out what you preach. You have to live out what you teach. You've got to be what you say you are. You've heard that old saying before? If you're going to talk the talk, then you must walk the walk. Titus 
show yourself to be a pattern of good works. Now let's talk about patterns for a second. My mother-in-law, God bless her heart, is one of the greatest teachers she's ever known. She's an amazing teacher. She creates uniforms for Civil War reenactors. She won't hem my pants. The next time you see her, say, please just take care of that. Here's the point, though. Look at it with a sober point of view. Sober. Live it 
soberly. When we live soberly, we live it by God's word, God's ways, and God's direction. No other way of thought. Righteously. We live righteously. That's a hard one, isn't it? We can look at things biblically. We can understand things biblically. We can teach things biblically. But when we go home, do we live it righteously? And God We look for We've got to leave these things behind and we've got to live this way. Close this off in the book. It's certain things. And one thing, sister, needs to be on the lookout for. Let me tell you right now, sister, you need to be looked at right now. The Bible tells us in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now, look up our redemption right now. Don't let anyone take that from me. Don't let anyone say, we've been waiting two thousand years. I want you to know that one of these days when we least expect it, one of these days when we don't think it's coming, one of these days when we say, He's not coming anymore, the sign of the Son of Man will appear. We'll hear the trump of God. We'll hear the shout of the angels. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we will rise to be with the Lord forever in the air. And I don't know about you, but that is blessed hope. That Paul tells us, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. What are these days worth going home? This world is not our home. This world is not where we live. That's why we've got to stay sober. That's why we've got to live righteously. That's why we've got to live godly in this present age. Present age. You want to look at this present age thing? What would you call it? Some people believe in dispensationalism. Some people hold on to it. I'm not going to talk to you about tonight. example of it. Jesus himself says, hey, the law and the prophets were until God. Were until God. Is that an age? I don't know. I'm going to let you decide. But I'm going to say this. What age do you live in now? Obviously, if you were to live in any age, you would be the church age. And the church age teaches that. The time of preaching, the time of witnessing, the time of evangelizing, we have a job to do, and we need to be doing it soberly. We need to be doing it reverently. We need to be doing it seriously. You've heard all these before. We need to be doing these things. Reaching, speaking, praying for the Lord. The whole time, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Constant teaching had to be based upon the threefold work of Christ for his people as a result of his death on the cross. Not only did he reach those five teachings, not only did he have those five characteristics, not only did he teach these three things, but also how to God's work. What we teach has to be rooted in the cross. It has to be rooted in the cross. Charles Spurgeon once was quoted, and someone said, every sermon I sit in, pastor, sounds similar. Every sermon ends up back at the cross. Charles Spurgeon said, that's right. Whatever text God gives me, the moment I get a chance, I make a beeline for the text. If we're not preaching the Savior, what are we preaching? If we're not preaching salvation, what are we preaching? If we're not preaching Christ and Him crucified, then we've lost our Pilate's teachings then had to be based upon the threefold work of Christ for His people as a result of His death upon the cross. Let's take a look at those. Let's just see those in Titus chapter 2. Let's take a look. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself, this is Jesus, gave himself that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Some of you like to read older translations, and so you'll know that those special people can be translated peculiar people, and I like to hold on to that. Let's take a look at that. Let's look at the next slide. Redeem. Looking at the threefold work of the cross. Redeem. He set us free from all iniquity. That's what redeemed means. Christ Jesus set us free from all iniquity. Let me tell you something right now, believer in Jesus Christ. You do not have to struggle with sin anymore. He has already won the battle. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then let Him take it. Let Him pay for it and never return to it because He's already won the victory. 
victory. He's already paid the price. And what the problem is, is we keep holding on to the things of this present world. And he redeems them. He set us free from all this. Look at me, Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He has made me free. He has. I need anyone else? He's redeemed us. And when He redeemed us, we got to get the picture up. He brought us back. He brought us back. When we left willingly, when we traded ourselves willingly, He brought us back. That's called redemption. That's why I say He set us apart. He set us apart. Not only did He redeem us, He set us apart. In fact, if you look again in Titus chapter 2, it says, You're my special people set apart. And he made us a peculiar people. And let me tell you, there's no one more peculiar than a bad Amen. He purified unto himself a peculiar people. What does it mean to be a peculiar people? You're peculiar to the world. You're peculiar because you can love when the world hates. You can love the unlovable. You can hold the unholdable. You can embrace the unequal. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special peculiar people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's why we're reverent. That's why we're sober. That's why we're serious. That's why we're committed. That's why we must live righteously in this
bring people that can't be loved. Perhaps how you see it in this way. Perhaps you're online and saying, Pastor, I'm looking for a place that's zealous for good works. Let me tell you something. You need to get zealous for good works. One of the marks of a Christian, are you ready for this? It's going to come as a surprise. One of the marks of a born again, blood marked Christian is they desire to be with God's people. So what happens is, is later on, when our fire gets put out, we say, well, this ain't going to God's house and God's people. Get yourself back on fire and get yourself back in the house of God and get yourself back with God's people and you'll find yourself doing good works because God's people can't help but reach this world. God's people can't help but evangelize. God's people can't help but preach, teach, and witness and testify wherever they go because we're history. Fulfill your treasure. You don't fulfill your treasure to do. Be sorry. You don't fulfill your treasure to do. The world looks at us and says, Man, what's wrong? You don't fulfill your treasure to God. Fulfill your treasure to something that comes from that heart of God. Jesus talked about it last week. It's like someone who found a treasure in the field and he went and sold all that he had and bought not just the place for the treasure, but the whole We all have jobs to do, and we all have roles to play. We all have something we need to do in conflict. That's clear in God's word. And that's holiness of God's word. That's reverence for God's faith. That's jealousy for good work. That's the truth, Pastor. I'm going to kind of lapse from that. This is really the problem. It's easy to say, I need to get it right now. And I can say, Brother Josh, I need to become a Christian. Whatever the case may be, that's the thing, Pastor, I need to be a part of Robert Kennedy Baptist Church. Whatever the case may be, would you be willing to come to this movie? Perhaps. And you took a look at that blessed hope. You say, is he coming? Is he coming? I want someone to tell me when Jesus is coming. Well, you know what? Keep looking. You ain't going to find anybody who's going to be able to tell you when Jesus is coming. I can tell you this. He is coming. Not only is he coming, when he comes, Not a Christian, guess what? You're going to know that is <laughs> Let's have a word of prayer. Keep focusing. Would you be willing to come this evening? The guys are going to come and sing a verse or two of the song. Keep focusing. Would you humble yourself and come to the house? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask you to take charge of this time. If there's anyone who needs to come to know you, anyone who needs to get right with you, anyone who needs to get their heart right with you, would you let us not do that now? We bless you, praise you, and give you all the glory and honor. Jealous for good work. Righteous living. Holy living. Come on. Would you come to Would you come? Would you come? 
Wednesday evening. That's it.